If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Acts 17 as we look at this together under the title today of God's Revelation. Many Christians think that when you profess faith in Christ, if you read the Bible, if you pray each day, if you go to church and you seek to live as decent a life as possible, that is your responsibility filled. And yes, there is a work of evangelism that needs to be done, but there are specially gifted people who can do that, not for a normal Christian like me, is the way some people think. But one of the things we see in the book of Acts is that the church's witness was most effective and the church grew most when indeed ordinary believers, as they were scattered, shared the gospel. You can see that in Acts 8 particularly. When Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church, the believers scattered and they gossiped the gospel. Peter, writing to believers in his first letter, he highlights it's the responsibility of every believer to give a reason for the hope that is within them. And the challenge now is ensuring the gospel in a society and among a people who we mix with who are becoming less and less influenced by biblical teaching and becoming more and more pagan or even atheistic in how they think. The society that we are now called to share the gospel in is less like Jerusalem in the first century, which accepted the Bible. It is more like Athens of the first century, which had little or no knowledge of God's Word, and certainly didn't accept it. Or to put it another way, if you use the phrase, the Bible says, that will have much less impact today than it would have had 30 or 50 years ago when people had more knowledge and acceptance of the Word of God. While there are some opportunities for evangelism to take place within our buildings, but because of the majority of people no longer attending church or connected to a church, the greatest amount of evangelism has to take place out there and has to be undertaken by every church member, by every Christian. The church is not to be a, <coughs> excuse me, a cozy little club where we just come to relax the church needs to be a rigorous training ground where all members are trained and equipped to share the gospel and to share it in a society that is increasingly hostile, pagan, and even atheistic. Dear Christian man, dear Christian woman, I want to assure you, no matter what you think of yourself, you can be a witness in this fallen world around you. And you need to be a witness to this fallen world around you. You need to see that this is what you're called to. Being a Christian is being a witness for Christ. And you need to be committed to being trained, being equipped for this task ahead. Now, today let me just give a few brief comments, first of all, about Paul's method in evangelism before moving on to consider Paul's message of God's revelation. So, first of all, Paul's method here. 
And it's quite simple. First of all, he found the common ground. He spoke to these people about the unknown God. And that was a bridge by which he was able to get into their thinking and into their mind. And as you talk to people, you will have common ground. It could be things from your background, things from your past. You can find a common ground. There are bridges which will help you cross into a spiritual conversation into people's lives. And so we need to be praying that God will help us see the common ground, those opportunities to begin spiritual conversations. Secondly, He showed them where they were wrong. Now, we haven't time to go into detail about this, but in His address, Paul was contradicting what the Stoic philosophers believed about God basically being part of the universe, pantheism, that the, in a sense the earth was a part of God or gods, and also the Epicureans who taught that indeed the gods were detached from this world. The gods were distant and not really interested in this world. So basically, eat, drink, and be merry and have the best time you can have. Paul, to help these people, needed to know what they believed. Now, the good news for you and me is you don't have to know all about the Stoics or the Epicureans. We, we don't need to know about that. But the people that you're called to be a witness to in your workplace, in your community, are people you need to know what they believe. And one of the best ways of doing this is, is asking them questions. Asking them when something comes up about what they believe, and don't interrupt them. Take time to really listen. You can really help people when you begin to know what they believe. Know what they believe, and then be able to correct wrong belief gently and graciously. And thirdly, he shared the revelation of Jesus. Uh, Paul didn't really ultimately engage in their philosophical debate. That wasn't what he was about. But he brought the message of the gospel into their thinking with clarity and with power. Now, how he does it here is interesting, and it's different from the way he did it when he was speaking to Jews, when he very heavily quoted the Bible. We don't actually read of him quoting the Bible. He actually quotes some of the Greek philosophers. But he shares the message of the Bible, and he's able to do that with great power. So here are th three things we need to start doing in our daily lives. Find the common ground, show where people are wrong as we find out what they believe, and share the revelation of Jesus. And one of the things, when we have the courage to begin to do this, our knowledge, our understanding, our ability to do this will grow and grow as we do it. Once you start doing it, God will help you and you'll learn so much. So that's Paul's method. But then let's think about Paul's message, which is God's revelation. And first of all, it's a message about being surrounded by God's revelation. Now, remember, he's coming here to people who have, don't know the Bible, who have no time for the Bible, so he has to start somewhere else. And he begins with the message of creation. For a society that has such mixed up views about God, Paul starts by talking about God as the Creator, the one Creator. And the evidence for the Creator is all around every person. People can have 
an amazing faith that the world around us and we ourselves have just happened by chance. But we need to say that in everything that has been made, in this amazing world that we look out upon, in these amazing bodies that we live in, we can see the fingerprints of God everywhere. During the, the French Revolution at the late 1700s, uh, part of that revolution was very much geared by atheistic thinking. And one of the revolutionaries is reported as saying to some Christians, I will pull down your church spars which support your superstitious ideas. To which a believer replied, you can pull down our church spars, but you cannot pull down the stars from heaven. In other words, the witness to God was all around, and they couldn't pull that down. And so, it's important to, to share that and say that in the world around us, we have this evidence which speaks to everyone about God being there. Now, don't be ever daunted by any talk that people give you about evolution or Big Bang or the science proving the Bible wrong. Um, last autumn time when we were talking about this, the boys and girls, we used this illustration. You see, come up with the jigsaw. And really, science is like this. They've got like three pieces of the jigsaw and from those three pieces, they have said with great clarity what the whole picture is like. You imagine those, just those three pieces in the corner. That Could you work out what the whole picture is like? You couldn't. But basically, that's what people are saying about evolution or the Big Bang and so forth. From three little pictures or whatever, they're saying what the whole picture is. The God who is there has given us the true picture. Have confidence in it. So, surrounded by God's revelation. But even more than that, Paul speaks about being invaded by God's revelation. As well as the witness of creation being out there, there is an eternal witness in people as to the existence of God. We call it conscience. We call it God awareness. And this manifested itself in Athens in their religious idolatry. Look there in verse 22 what Paul says. He says, Standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with inscription to the unknown gods. And so he could see in these people that although they had got it wrong about what God is like, they did have a sense of the divine. They did have a sense that there is a God there to be worshipped. And this is part of us not being animals, but being people made in the image of God. We were made to be worshippers of God. Now, people have lost sight of that often, but people still automatically want to be worshippers. People love to be amazed, but they fail to realize that true fulfillment will only be found in worshipping the God who deserves all of our worship. Atheists today would say that this sense of divine, this desire to worship it, it comes from previous ignorance when people didn't know science, looking for answers from superstition. But that is there in people. In some senses, I don't really believe there is fully an atheist. I always find most atheists I talk to are very angry at the God they don't believe in. Deep down, there is a sense of the divine in people. 
this, attitude, this awareness of God, it isn't just from ignorance. Look at what Paul says in verse 27 there. He says, but God making them that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is not actually far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. You see, God is all around us. We come from this God. And at the back of people's mind, there is still that awareness. No matter how loud they shout, there's still a sense that God is there. And the people who are maybe strongest at just discounting Christianity and writing it off, don't be put off by them. Because there's more going on in their minds that they ever admit. So, surrounded by God's revelation, invaded by God's revelation, and thirdly, spiritually ignorant of God's revelation. Paul says there in verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The problem is that while God's revelation from creation and that sense of the divine being within people, this is something that people suppress, something that people want to push down. Romans 1 comes to mind here. I'm just going to read some verses here in Romans 1 come to the screen. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is, they push down the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In verse 21 he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And what Paul is talking about there is the two wrong responses that people do. They distort what God is like, turn them into idols of silver and gold, or they deny his existence altogether. They're they're futile thinking. They're, they're pushing it down. And now, one of the things those verses highlight for us, that when it comes to discussion with people, this is what we need to understand. This is not merely ever an intellectual discussion with people. People are not morally neutral. And people who are running away from God often will not ever want to accept the truth. In many ways, they don't believe because they don't want to believe. And remember this, it's never about just winning an argument and giving proof to people who just write the Bible off. They need their hearts changed. You see, we picture coming up here, a couple of pictures coming up. If you find a, a simple digital watch lying on the, the street, 
you know there is a, a creator, there's a maker. You know there's a, an owner of that watch. You're aware of that. You look at a human body, far more complicated, far more intricate, so amazing, fearfully and wonderfully made. I wish I had listened more in biology class when I was at school and remembered more. But the human body is absolutely amazing. All what the different organs do, how it works, how it responds to situations of need, so forth. Can you say that that has no maker, no creator, no owner? People refuse to accept that because they are running away from God. And so why we share the truth? We need to pray for a change of heart. And so they suppress the knowledge. They suppress the revelation. But then fourthly, there's opportunity from God's new revelation. Paul teaches here that with the coming of Jesus, there's a, a new era and a new era of opportunity. He says in verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Okay, for centuries, you Greek people, you didn't have the Word of God. You were left to yourself. You didn't have this knowledge of God. But now that is finished. Now God has sent His Son. God has sent Jesus to reveal to you a fuller and even greater revelation of what God is like. It's like Hebrews 1, what it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Listen, God has come near. God has come into our situation. And so the, the day for excuses is over. Jesus is here. And what Paul says here is that the guarantee of this new revelation being true is the resurrection of Jesus. If you look there, there at the end, verse 31, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, as we seek to witness into a world, and as we seek to witness to people who no longer accept the Bible, here is the way that we speak about the gospel being true. This is the great weapon we use, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And people say, well, that's a fairy tale. What's your evidence for that? What's the evidence for this? Well, the evidence is the New Testament. And you have the gospel writers, Matthew, who was a witness to the resurrected Christ. Mark, who would have been a witness as well. Luke, who was a wee bit later, but investigated the people who would have seen it and spoke to them and was a clever doctor and wrote it down. And John, who was a witness to the resurrection of Christ as well. And what we have are 5,800 manuscripts of the New Testament. Ancient manuscripts. There's no document in the history of the world that has anything like this. 
all these manuscripts, when the church spread and the gospels were copied across the world, we have all those manuscripts. And if they were put on top of each other, they would be a mile high, which all tell the story of this person, Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, who lived and died and rose from the grave. And that's what we say to people. I remember we were in theology class, a seminar, and we had to convince our professor of systematic theology that Christianity was real. Now, he did believe it, <laughs> I'm glad to say, but this was an exercise for us, and he, he, he tied us in knots. He really did. He was far too clever for any of us. And then we said, we had got a bit of sense and said, sir, what would you do? Well, he says, it's very simple. I'll just say to people, here's the New Testament. It tells the story of Jesus who claims to be the Son of God. It claims to be the Word of God. It tells about his life, his death, his resurrection. Read it and see what you think. So simple. And you know, if we can get people out there reading, don't say to them, just read the Bible. Have a wee supply, and maybe we'll get a wee supply of these, a wee supply of Mark's Gospels or another Gospel. Give them a Gospel. And say, have a read of that. Now, you don't just force it on people. When you have your conversations, when you begin to talk to people, when you have that common ground, when you ask them what they believe and talk about what you believe, that's when you then have an opportunity to say, well, what about reading this? Reading the story of this Jesus. Tell me what you think. Pray for them, because it is the Word of God that is the power of God for salvation when people come and trust in Jesus. This is the evidence we bring to the world around us. This is the, what we challenge people with, to read the New Testament, to look at this Jesus. And the amazing thing is that in our fumbling and feeble efforts, we have an amazing God who chooses to use weak people like us. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to use weak people like us to bring people to Christ and salvation. One final thing about this revelation, and that is judgment completing God's revelation. Look at verse 31. He says, because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The evidence for God in creation, the evidence about God existing from within ourselves, that sense of the divine, the evidence from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, while that evidence is powerful, while that evidence is so compelling, hard hearts will still reject it, hard hearts will still scoff at it, but God's revelation is not complete. One day Jesus will come in glory. Every eye shall see him. Everyone who's ever existed will be resurrected. Everyone will see him. All will be gathered before him. He will judge the living and the dead. Now, of course, only those who have trusted in Jesus will be saved at that point. But everyone, every atheist, every agnostic, Every mocker and scorn of the gospel will bow before Jesus, acknowledge him as the Lord.
Isn't that amazing? Your Stephen Hawkins, your Richard Dawkins, your Christopher Hitchens. And take the most terrible characters of history. Everyone will bow before him. The revelation is complete. And acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. On that day, there will no longer be any atheists or agnostics or scorners or mockers. On that day, there will just be the saved who will be going to the new heavens and the new earth to be with Christ forever. And there will be the unsaved who will be cast into the lake of fire. But their arguments, their criticisms will be no more. They have to acknowledge who Jesus is. And the big question on that day is, where will you and I be? Are we those who have embraced the revelation of Jesus? Are we those who truly have come to know him? Or are we those who still reject him? And if we have come to know him, and as we gather around the table today and take the bread and the wine and think of his broken body and his shed blood, isn't this a Savior that we want to make known? Isn't this a Savior we want to be glorified in the lives of our friends and neighbors coming to trust in Jesus? Wouldn't this be ridiculous if we have come to know the peace and salvation of Christ through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus and not have a passion and burden to share this message of hope to that world out there? This great revelation. May we have a part in sharing it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. And we just pray, Father, that as we have thought about your great revelation here today, your revelation in the world around us that you've made, which speaks of the God who you are, your revelation within our hearts. Although it's a revelation that people have rejected and seek to, to push down, still it's there. And how you've revealed yourself in Jesus in his death, in his resurrection. And then how finally when Jesus comes again, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Lord, help us to be people who today and tomorrow and every day this week confess not just Jesus as Lord, but Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior. In his name we pray.